Before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. And now, on with the show. This edition of the Grant Williams podcast is a little different, uh, delightfully so. My guest is Tim Grover, the CEO of Attack Athletics and the author of two phenomenal books, Relentless and most recently, Winning. Now, Tim will be familiar to any of you who were, like me, NBA geeks during the careers of both Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, thanks to the work he did with both of those great champions, helping them build and strengthen not just their bodies to withstand the physical toll of a grueling NBA season, but also their minds, enabling these two incredible athletes to handle the extraordinary pressure that comes with being an era-defining global superstar and build a winning mentality that saw them rise above the incredible talent all around them to become the most dominant figures in one of the most highly competitive athletic leagues in all of sports. Tim explains the secret to building a winning mentality, the sacrifices that have to be made, and how to deal with both victory and defeat in a manner which allows you the freedom to put setbacks behind you and move forward with a single-minded purpose. The lessons Tim has both learned from and taught to the world's greatest athletes offer so much to anyone fortunate enough to hear them and apply them to their own daily lives, whether that's at home or at work. The parallels with the world of investing are there for all to see, and the candor and the clarity with which Tim shares the methods he's developed over 30-plus years working with elite athletes is beyond refreshing. Tim's book, Winning, is available in all the usual places, and I honestly can't recommend it highly enough. As you'll hear in our conversation, I am hardly the target audience for Tim's work, but I found it to be enormously compelling and incredibly thought-provoking, and I know that you'll feel similarly after listening to what comes next. So with that being said, please enjoy my wonderful conversation with Tim Grover. Well, look, Tim, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I, this is a great thrill for me. I, I've been a fan of the athletes you've worked with for years, and I know you as the man behind the scenes because I'm that much of a geek. I knew you as much <laughs> as I knew all these guys. And, and I, I, I will do my very best for this not to be a, hey, tell me stories about the days when, because I'm just, I'm such a geek. But, but thanks so much for, for taking the time to do this. It's grand. It's an honor. Thank you so much. You know, I am the worst demographic for someone that writes books like you that you could possibly imagine. I'm an Englishman with the stiff upper lip <laughs> problem and I was born in the 70s. So we don't do uh, kind of self-help and motivational stuff. And But I have to say, your book was extraordinary. Well, let me give you, you know, I was born in Wolverhampton, England. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, right. Uh, all right. But I was, I was born in the 60s. <laughs> so I get what you're saying. But like you said, this is not your typical motivational book. This, is, this isn't about the rah-rah. This is no, definitely it, not about the rah-rah. It, it isn't. It's so refreshing to read this kind of stuff the way you write it, which is in your face, no punches pulled. I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and pat you on the back and all that stuff. It was so <laughs> refreshing to read it you know, straight and hard because you just don't, don't seem to get that anymore. You don't. And you know what? It's you have to be true to who you are. I listen, I could have added another 100, 200 pages if I wanted to add all that fluff in there and be. Yeah. I, I'm not. I have to be genuine to who I am. This is what I know. This is how I learned. This is how the athletes and the business individuals and the people I deal with. This is the way I talk to them. So the way I'm going to talk to them is the exact same way I'm going to talk to individuals who are going to read the book, listen to the book and be fortunate enough to listen to this podcast. Yeah, you know, as, as I went through the book, I was highlighting all the things that resonated with me, and I realized 
we don't have anywhere near enough time to go in, go back over all of them. So I've just, I've just kind of picked a few things out that really struck me because the parallels between the athletes and the business people you work with and the world of finance and investing, which is my world, are so obvious as to not even really need pointing out. But it's right. only when you hear them in that other context that you, in your own mind, you put them into the world that you inhabit. Yeah. Listen, I said this in the book, you know, individuals in the financing sector, oh, sales, whatever, whatever it may be, you may not be in the same physical competition as the athletes I deal with, but from a mental standpoint, you have to be just as sharp, if not sharper, because there's a constant change and shift that's always going on. And you have to be prepared for anything that's out there. You have to recognize what you see as what everyone else sees as a loss, you have to have the ability to see it as a win or how can that loss get you closer to that win? Where is that step? Is that step, can I see the step? Can I don't see the step? So from a competitive standpoint and from a winning standpoint in your line of work, the mental ability to recognize those wins, take advantage of them, understand them, happens at a faster pace than even for my athletes. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have set me up better. I wanted, I wanted to give you a quote from the book, which really hit me around the face and just get some reaction from you. Now, you said, and I apologize for quoting you back at yourself. But no, here no, that's all right. <laughs> you're right, you're right. <laughs> Winning makes you an expert on losing. You don't ever get used to it, but you learn to control your reaction until you have no reaction at all. You become less emotional about it because the energy it takes to lose your mind over a loss is energy you need to redirect into winning. And the more you hang on to that emotion, the harder it will be for you to move past it and the harder you'll make it for everyone else to move past it. You understand it's part of the process. You don't have to like it, but you have to face it. It's a necessary evil and a reality of competition. Now, I read that passage, and even though the words on the page say winning and losing, I'm reading profit and loss, because it's, yeah. it's exactly the same thing. So how do you work with the minds of these great players who right through their high school careers, college careers, are used to winning everything? How do you help them embrace losing, not necessarily in the moment, but understanding what it can teach them in the long term. Well, that's exactly what you said. And what can it teach you? All right. And if you get too emotional over every single loss, you lose that ability to learn. You lose the ability to know that there's a win in that loss. And it's your job to go find it. It's your job to go dig it out, to understand, okay, why did I lose here? What was it? Was I not focused? Did I miss something? Was I not physically prepared? Was I distracted? Was I not in the zone? What happened that gave me that loss and how can I understand it so it won't happen again? Because what happens is just like winning is a habit, losing is a habit. And if you don't understand, just like, you know, <laughs> making money is a habit, losing money, yeah. losing money is a, is a habit. You have to recognize which habit you want to obtain. And if you consistently don't know why you lost and the reasons for that loss, they're just going to continue to get more and more and more. Now, you know, we play, most of my clients end up are, are in a team sport. So not everything is on their backs, yeah. but you have to realize, hey, listen, I elevated myself. Did I not elevate my teammates enough? Well, what did I didn't do that we ended up losing. What could I have done less or what could have they done more in those situations? So every time there's a loss, you have to come back different. 
you have to come back better. You have to come back stronger. You have to come back smarter. With each loss that happens, everyone thinks it brings you a step farther away from winning. It actually brings you a step closer to winning, but you have to do the homework to find out where that step is. But how do you kind of give people the ability to look at those losses? Because the, the normal thing is, as you say in the book, shrug it off. It's a game. Forget it. It's, we'll get the next one. It's so instinctive for us to shrug off losses because we don't want to harp on the bad things. We want to focus on the next thing. We want to focus on the next trade, the next game, whatever it may be. But how do you help people take apart losses and understand what it was that I could have done better, whether it was emotional or mental fatigue or failure or a physical one? Well, what I do is there'll be a certain play or something that happened in that moment, and I can see it, and sometimes the athlete can't, all right? And then I'll go back and I'll just say, hey, I want you to watch this part of the game again, all right? And understand what happened in this 30 seconds here that turned your mindset from a winning mindset into a losing mindset. And you don't have to dissect the whole thing, but there's certain parts within your win or within your loss that you can dissect and say, hey, how could I have done things a little bit better? Now, what I want you to do is once you figure those things out, and I want you to figure those things out. Listen, I'll place you in the right island. Now it's your job to figure out what I want you to find. But the important thing about this part here is I don't want you to constantly think about it. I don't, when I said it in the book about shrugging the loss off, I don't want you constantly thinking about it. I don't want you to forget the lesson, but I don't want you thinking about it because if you're thinking about it, you're not in the current moment for your next trade, for your next financial situation, for your next win, for your next moment. So there's a huge difference about learning something so well that you don't have to constantly think about it. And that's what I want these individuals to do with their losses. I want them to understand why they got those losses. And I want them to understand that concept so well, so it becomes an instinct with them. So they don't have to think about it. They already know. With most of my athletes, before I point something out, they'll already said, I got it. Yeah. I, I, I already know. And that's the point where you get to where they just shrug it off. I've always wondered about this throughout my entire career, and that is, do we really learn anything when we win? I've always wondered about that because I, I think you contextualize it and you can say, yeah, because you were aiming for that win. You did everything you could to win. Do we actually learn anything from winning, do you think? This is the one thing it's very important. The best of the best learn just as much from winning than they do from losing, all right? Because now what they do is they don't get complacent with that win. So once they get that win, they're like, okay, what do I have to learn more to get that next win? Because if I got this win now, and if I continue here, hey, you know what? If that other individual that I'm competing against who I beat actually learned more from their losses and I didn't learn anything from my win, well, guess what? This is the only win I'm going to have. I'm not going to have another win because the greatest winners learn so much from their losses, but they also learn something from each win they have because then they're like, all right, well, I'm going to lose more than I win. So if I keep beating this person, eventually they're going to figure out how to beat me unless I continue to keep getting better. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's Jordan Bulls and the Pistons story right, right there. Yes, exactly. exactly. You know, already in this conversation, there's a word that's come up 
maybe 10, 11 times. And it's something that really kind of bonded me to what you were writing in the book. And when you talk about how to think, not what to think. And for me personally, I made a series of interviews a couple of years ago, 12 interviews, and I'd spent an awful lot of time writing a two-paragraph voiceover for the beginning to introduce this series. And I spent a week writing these two paragraphs, just chipping away, chipping away at it. And the whole point of this was I want to learn how people think. I don't really care what they think. It's not important. So just help me explain to people why how is so much more important than what. Because you you take a great deal of time talking about that in the book. Our whole education system and the way we're taught everything is about what to think, what to think. You know, people listen to numerous, they listen to podcasts. Everybody tells them what to think. They watch documentaries. They read books. They follow social media experts. They follow all these individuals. Everybody's out there telling you what to think, what to think, what to think. And you're trying to implement something into yourself that may not be who you are, may not work for the way you think. So the ability to how to think is instinctive. It's unique to an individual. It's figuring out, it's finding out your own way. It's not always about the right way. It's about finding your own way. You look at everybody that's done something exceptional in life, you know, with the years of technology, all the stuff that's constantly come up. Nobody told those individuals how to do those things. That was ability of how to think. They saw something, they problem solved it, they imagined it, they were called crazy, they were called, this is never going to work. But they have the ability to do something that's so different. If you only know what to think, you know how to compete. Every individual that knows what to think knows how to compete. But in order to win, you have to know how to think. And how to think is putting your own flavors in your own recipes. It's the ability to put yourself out there, put your own thoughts, put your own ideas that sometimes go against the grain. And I did that a lot of in my training. You know, with MJ, everybody said, when I started with him, you're gonna have him train on game day? That's crazy, you know, it doesn't make any sense. He's gonna work out so much, he's gonna be less athletic. And I sat there and I thought about it. I was like, working out more makes you less athletic. That just doesn't work. That doesn't make any sense. And everybody, oh, you're going to mess up his shot. You know, he's going to be tired. He's going to be fatigued. It's never going to work. And I looked at the schedule and I was like, if he doesn't do this, it puts him more at a disadvantage. And not one person said I was doing the right thing. There wasn't a book out there back then. There was no pie. And there was like, you go to the library. You go to the library, you grab a book. There was no computer stuff. There was no internet to look at. But I just knew from everything, I was like, this makes sense. This after I looked at the schedule, looked at everything, and that was my ability of how to think. And we all have that ability to how to think. But when you put yourself out there with how to think, there's a lot of criticism that's going to come in there because everybody that's going to criticize you are the people that have only the ability of what to think. Yeah, the parallels, again, are so eerie. But how do you mentally push through, as you say, everyone telling you you're doing it wrong, everyone telling you this is a crazy idea? How do you find the mental fortitude, particularly given the importance of someone like Michael Jordan at that time, how do you have the confidence to push on with that? Well, one, listen, have you done the work to get the confidence? And, you know, in the book I said winning is an ultimate gamble on yourself. Listen, You have people in the financial industry, they're investing in stocks, mutual funds, whatever you guys do. 
All right. So the greats, they bet on themselves and they invest in themselves. That's how you get that confidence. I invested in my education. I invested in my ideas. I invested in my thoughts. I bet on myself knowing, hey, yeah, you know what? These things, I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. I know everyone's going to criticize what I'm doing, but it's funny. Everything's impossible until somebody does it first. Why not let me be the first one? All right, confidence is your ticket to freedom. Everybody wants to be free. Most people push the confidence away from you instead of pushing the confidence towards you. And then that way, you have to bring the confidence out yourself. You know, taking chances on yourself and never doubting what the outcome is going to be. You have to take that chance. You have to take that gamble on yourself. When you take that gamble on yourself, Everybody knows what's coming with that. Everyone's going to disagree. You're going to have your haters out there. People are going to say you're crazy. If they're not saying those things, then the gamble on yourself isn't big enough. But what are you gambling in an area that you actually have knowledge in, expertise in, you've done the homework yeah. in? That's the important thing. I have individuals that come up to me all the time and just say, hey, listen, I was an unbelievable football player in high school and now I'm 32 years old and I want to chase my dream again of playing uh, professional football. Not half, that, that's a bad, that's a, that's a real bad gamble. That's, a, that's not gambling. Now, if you have the knowledge to be an unbelievable coach, manager or so forth, you can start that career and start gambling on yourself in that way. Yeah, you know, one of my heroes in the financial world, a guy called Jim Grant, said this beautifully. He said, you know, that the, the art of investing is have, having everybody agree with you later. You know, yes. And, that, and that's, that's, that, that's a similar thing to, yeah, it's funny. As I've over the years watched the Come Fly With Me videos of MJ and all this stuff as, as a fan over the years, and there would always be a clip of you and him in the gym lifting weights <laughs> or doing whatever. And so reading the book, it really struck me how much we outside look at guys like you doing the role you do when you work with these athletes as being a physical trainer. And yet the vast majority of the book is about the mental side of it. And obviously that's the purpose of the book, but it really struck me, it's obviously a huge part of your role is dealing with the mental toughness and the mind set of these athletes. How big a role is that? Because they've all got the talent, the physical talent. Well, it's a massive part about it. If you, you look up any of those interviews of Kobe, you look up any interviews of Michael, any of the athletes that I've done, very rarely are they talking about what they're doing physically. They're talking about what goes on up here. You know, the mental toughness, how to deal with the wins, how to deal with the losses, dealing with teammates, injuries. I mean, if you got anyone got a chance to see the last dance, that whole last year was all about mindset. Yeah. Think about this from a financial situation, from your perspective. Imagine going to work for a firm and the firm comes in and tells you that at the end of the year, including yourself, everybody's going to be terminated. I don't care if it's your best year ever. If you make more money than you've ever made in your life for yourself, for the firm, no matter what your end result is, you're going to be replaced. But we still want you to work at your highest capacity for the year. How many people would just say, eh, I'm not going to do it. So imagine coming in at that beginning of that season, knowing that you've already won five. You've won three, and you've, then you won two more, and this is your chance to do another three-peat. 
that no matter what you do, the coach is going to be gone. You're not going to be offered another contract. Your best player next to you, everybody's going to be what? All right, now what games do you have to play in your head? He said, watch me. Watch what I do. And that's where the mental comes in. When people have to face those adversities, they see those challenges. They see that winning is not taking their call anymore. Most people tank it in instead of like, all right, what do I need to keep doing over and over again? And it's not physical. That part of your career, listen, I can only do so much physically to make you better. But each year as an athlete got older, we put less emphasis on the physical and more emphasis on the mindset. You know, being able to create clarity from chaos, being able to eliminate distractions, being able to get into the zone quicker, being able to see things faster than what other individuals can see. So all the training from the neck up became more important. Not saying we didn't pay attention to the physical, but from paying attention to the physical for so long, it was more of a fine tune. But with the, with the mental stuff, I, I say it's more than a fine tune every single time. It, it's more of an adjustment because you never know what's being thrown at you. You have to deal with personal issues. You have to deal with, you know, obviously, you know, athletes, a lot of them, they have financial stuff, that, that yeah. stuff that's going on, family stuff. So there's, there's this bombardment of things that are constantly going on in their mind. And if you don't deal with those things and you don't talk to the individuals and say, hey, how important this is to their performance and then for them to get that win, they're never going to be able to get that win. I mean, you've worked with Hall of Fame athletes. You know, you've worked with Charles Barkley, you've worked with Hakeem, you've worked with yes. uh, D. Wade. When you look at those guys who in any other era would be, you know, the preeminent athletes at their position in the NBA, and then you work with a Kobe and a Michael, what do you see? Is it possible even to describe that difference that takes you from an elite athlete to the very best in your sport? You know what? The, the difference is the ability to block out distractions. It's about being in the moment. And we all have distractions. It's funny, when I see an athlete who isn't performing at its highest level, I was like, okay, all of a sudden, you didn't forget how to kick a football. You didn't forget how to shoot a basketball. You didn't forget how to swing a baseball bat. All right, what's distracting you from allowing you to perform at the highest level? Individuals in, in your line of work, you know, there's constant changing in the market and fluctuations and financial institutions and what's going on in the world and all that other stuff. But there's certain consistencies that if you see a person's works start to decline, like, all right, and they were able to earlier figure out what the market's going to do, where the adjustments were, where things were going on. They just didn't forget that ability anymore. There's something that's going on. There's something that's distracting them that's not allowing them to focus and do what they're supposed to do at the highest level. Those two individuals had the ability to totally separate the distractions from reality, the distractions that were going on in their personal lives, the distractions that were going on with their friends, and they had numerous distractions. I mean, you know, Michael played the season knowing that is, you know, the issue with his father, that his father's death, Kobe had a personal thing that was going on. And if you look at those times during that time, those individuals, their numbers that they were putting up were actually greater. They were greater because in order to protect themselves, 
they were focused even more because if they constantly thought about the distractions, it was taking them away from everybody else. So people in your line of work, when those distractions comes, that 0.001%, you actually see their performance elevate even more because they know this is a safe haven for them. This is where they can still make a difference. They can still get ahead and they use those distractions as even more fuel because when they use them for fuel, they actually burn them instead of having them sit there manifest on the side. Yeah, you, you talk about this in the book. You know, you very deliberately say, you choose the word manage over eliminate, right? Everybody tells you to eliminate distractions and, and you talk about how that's not possible. So, so how, do, how do you go about managing distractions? You know, I, I struggle with that on a daily basis and it's a really difficult thing to do. Well, you know what? First thing, you have to identify those distractions and what's causing those distractions. Because a lot of times the distractions that you may think you're causing those distractions, but it could be the people around you that are causing those distractions. All right. And it's really not that difficult. I said, you know, I, I put this in the, in the book. It's just like you have to master the art of no. Most of your distractions are created because you said yes to something that you didn't want to do. You know, I say this in the book, stop wasting time and doing things with people you don't like and doing things you don't want to do. Those are distractions. We all have this muscle that I say you need to flex more often. It's the, you know, the IDGAF muscle. And most people, they never flex that muscle. You've earned the right to flex that muscle, but most people flex that muscle in the wrong situations. You need to flex it in the correct situations. Know what situations you need to flex that muscle in. Know how to say no. Once you say no, you start to manage distractions. You start to manage people and you start to eliminate the individuals that are not that are not on the same level as you are, that don't have the same interests, that don't understand your winning attitude, that don't understand your winning mindset, that don't understand that winning has no balance. And it's able to flex that muscle at the right part of the time. And, and the other thing I say that's extremely important is make a no list. Make a no list. Everybody's making a yes list. Everyone's making a yes. Make a no list. And you know what? Have those stick by that list. And those individuals, no matter how close they are, how valuable they may be to, a no list is a no list. It's a no list. You know, you, you talk again in the book at great length about fear and doubt. And mm -hmm. how, why, why the, it's important to understand the distinction between the two and, and the fact that people confuse them all the time. And, you know, reading that part of the book, again, it really hit home with me because it's a very precise definition. But I, I'd love you to kind of lay that out because I think we all suffer from that. I know I do. And it, and it really helped me reading that part of the book. Yeah. You know what? Well, listen, we're supposed to have fear. Fear is instinctive. It is. It's an instinctive thing. But just think about if some. All right. So let, imagine if somebody you knew came into your room right now and they scared you. All right. You'd be startled, but everything about your mind would be in heightened your physical. You'd be like, all right, what's going on? I'm ready to do. All right. Now, what happens with most people is when they have that fear, it paralyzes them. It's not the fear that's paralyzing them. It's the doubt of not being able to handle that fear of what comes next, that's what's paralyzing that individual. 
All right, you know that winning is going to give you a permanent knot in the stomach. It's going to give you that permanent knot in that stomach. All right, doubt keeps that knot in that stomach. Fear gives you the ability to say, hey, I'm going to untie this knot. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to untie this knot while everyone else, including winning, is laughing at you. It's just like this, you know, I made it so clear in the book, you know, when you have fear, you play to win. You play to win. When you have doubt, you play not to lose. Yeah. All right. Fear is instinctive. It's a part of you. It is a part of you. What is doubt? Doubt is created by you. You create doubt. Your body doesn't know doubt. Your mind doesn't know doubt. It's something you actually have to manifest. You actually have to manifest. Right. Fear is pressure. Pressure is a privilege. If somebody puts you in a pressure situation, that means they believe in you. Well, if you don't believe in yourself, that's when you start to panic. That's when you start to have doubt. So if somebody puts you in a pressure situation, that means they believe in you. If you don't believe in yourself, that means you have doubt in your abilities and a doubt will make you panic. Everyone experiences fear. We're built that way. But the greatest don't have any doubt that they can handle whatever's coming. If you can't handle whatever's coming, you're going to get into a panic state and you're going to lose. Everyone's looking for the correct answers. There are no correct answers to this. That's why in this book, I didn't give you any steps. I didn't say there are five steps of greatness. There's 10 steps to this because there aren't. Those steps are infinite. This book is not going to tell you what to do. This book isn't a what to do thing. This is a how to think book. And how to think is your instincts, just like fear is instinctive. You create things in your mindset that take away your ability to win. And one of those biggest things that you create is doubt. But you have to know the difference between the two. You have to know the difference between fear and doubt. And, and I mean, how do we recognize that? Because in the moment, it all seems the same. It's just negative emotion that comes into you. And, you know, I, I think the one difference with investing versus the athletic side of things is that at least on a, on a basketball court, on a football field, you can see your opponent. It's another human being. He can be opposing, he can be intimidating, but he's a human being and you can go up against him man to man. In investing, it's numbers on a board and the numbers are completely impassive. And the numbers tell the story. At the end of the day, you've either made money, you've lost money. Right. There's no emotion there. What advice can you give people who are dealing with an implacable opponent that shows no emotion, shows no nothing? It's just a cold, hard number and deal with it. The numbers don't lie. Did you do everything possible? Did you prepare yourself physically? Did you prepare yourself mentally? Did you do everything that can get you closer to that win, knowing that that win is not guaranteed. Everybody talks about, listen, I'm in the financial business to make money, all right? You're not always going to make the money. Winning has no loyalty to you. It's not going to be a win. And once you understand that and take the emotions out of it, just what you said, when you look at the numbers, they're emotionless. They have a blank stare on their face. All they do is you can't see, but they're laughing back at you because they're like, ah, you got this thing wrong. And understand that's part of what you chose to do. So when things don't go your way, Deal with it, deal with it, be prepared for it. Understand that it's going to do everything possible for you not to win. 
the numbers that you just described is the way I describe winning in the book. It has its own language. You know, it's going to be civil, uncivilized. It's going to be hard. It's going to be unpolished. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be unforgiving. It's going to be unapologetic. It is inhibited. People want winning to think of this as this glorious thing, and it's not. It is not that glorious thing. It's a glorious thing for about 30 seconds when at the end of your trade day or your end of your financial day or the month, whatever it is, you look at the numbers, you're like, wow, I made money, okay? Now what's next? Or, wow, I lost money, now what's next? If you stay in that moment too long, you're gonna get engulfed in that moment, whether it's a win or a loss, and your mindset is totally gonna be destroyed. You know, it's funny, I, throughout my own career, I've never gotten as high with the wins as I have low with the losses. You know, there's, something, yeah. there's something about that that I guess for us is, is just hard to deal with. Well, it's hard to deal with, but you know what? You, you expect to win. You don't expect to lose, all right? You, every, you put your plan into play to win every single time, knowing it's not always going to be a win. If you celebrate too long, and celebrate too hard, someone else is going to get that next win. They're going to get that, yeah. they're going to get that next win. All right. And it's the same thing with the losses. You go back, you look at the losses. I'll share a story with you that you might have heard before. So after every basketball game, there's a stat sheet. You know, you get a stat sheet that has all the, you know, how many shots you took, how many points you scored, how many rebounds, how many fouls, how, how many all these different things. All right. So Michael and I, we created a separate stat sheet. And I would have that stat sheet when he would come out of the locker room and I would hand that stat sheet to him. And that stat sheet didn't have the points. It didn't have the assists. It didn't have the rebounds. Uh, it didn't have the minutes they played. It had turnovers, fouls, missed free throws. All right. And, and it would be like, I'm supposed to score points. I'm supposed to get rebounds. I'm supposed to make my teammates better. What am I not supposed to do? I'm not supposed to commit stupid fouls. I'm not supposed to turn the ball over. I'm not supposed to miss free throws, All right? And it's just what you said about the wins and the losses. Everyone wants to get patted on the back for doing things you're expected to do, all right? But the people that win all the time, they want to look at the things that they didn't do and how can I get better from those things? And that's how you get closer to that win. That's how you get less distracted, how you understand what you talked about, those numbers on those boards, when you pay attention to the things that you're not supposed to do instead of the things that you're supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to do, but we don't always know the things we're not supposed to do. Yeah, no, it's, it's such a great point. You know, and when you when you talk about that, I, I can't help but wonder what you made of Shaq's free throws, because there's oh. something right that 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 is such an elementary part of the game, and he he struggled with it his entire career, and and improvement there would have changed the way everyone had to play him the whole thing, everything, and just you know Shaq always used to say, well, you know, I made it during the big moments. Well, every moment is a big moment. You know, that's the difference between sports and finance. For you guys, every day is a big day. 
it could literally be, you know, life changing, career changing, financially changing with those things. He'd always say, Hey, listen, you know, I, I made, I made them when they count. Actually, you didn't make them when they count. That's the first thing. And second of all, there's a big difference between individuals and like, okay. And I'll kind of put the financial term with it. I'm sure there's certain, certain days in the calendar that represent big days that, you know, I, I don't know if announcements come out, yeah, you know, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I, announcements that come out. So we have athletes that mark certain days on their calendar as a big game, you know, and they say, I play better under the bright lights. Well, if you're paying attention to the lights, you're not fully there. Michael never noticed the lights. Kobe never noticed the lights. Dwayne never noticed lights. They didn't know if the lights were on, if they were off, if they were yellow, if they were pink, if they were white, if they were green. So it was every day was a win. So with Shaq, he just, yeah, all right, from a, from a mechanical standpoint, it could have been a lot of different things that he did. But that was one of the things that frustrated Kobe so much about Shaq is just like, if this guy had the same mindset and same work ethic, I, he goes, forget about winning six championships. We'd be winning 11 or 12. Right, right. But there was those little details. And, you know, Grant, one of the things that you do, and I'm sure the reason you've been extremely successful is, and you mentioned the free throw thing, is you pay attention to the smallest details. And a lot of individuals, even when they win, they stop paying attention to the small details because they get comfortable with winning. They've won once, they've won twice, but they end up with numerous wins when they could have ended up with so many more because they didn't pay attention to the detail that mattered the most. The most insignificant detail to somebody else is the most important detail to you. Yeah, you know, it's funny watching the last dance, and I, I, I've watched the whole thing like three or four times now. It's just, it's just, a, it's a superb documentary about so many things. It's not just about basketball, you know. Mm -hmm. And by far the most powerful moment in that, which I'm sure everyone that's watched it will agree, is that soliloquy by Michael about pulling people along with him and not asking anybody to do what he didn't want to do. And, and you know, he gets so emotional about that and has to, you know, just break. And, it, and it, was, it was beautifully done. It was beautifully edited into the thing, and it really was powerful. But just take us inside, if you can, the mindset of someone like Michael, someone like Kobe that has that extra level. How do you accommodate people who are superb at what they do, but they're just not at your level? How do you deal with that? Because it must be incredibly difficult. It's extremely difficult. Now, the interesting part about that thing in the last dance, Grant, is that was the first part they shot. Oh, so he really? actually, yes. So literally after he shot that part, he said, break. Yeah. That, that was like the first wow. moment that they sat down and in. And he came in and said that thing. He said, so he goes, hey, uh, I need a break. Because that was the first time he was actually able to express it the way he wanted to. Listen, we all have the ability to elevate ourselves. Having a true winner, a person that wins, not only wins for themselves, but they win for their team and the individuals around them. And that is the most difficult thing. Getting the most out of yourself is actually easier than getting the most out of everybody else. Now, the understanding of this is not everybody is going to reach your level. That's the first thing people have to understand, all right? 
but can everybody elevate? Can everybody raise to another level? Yes, they can. They can do that. Now you have to find out how to do that. And it's different for each individual. It's not the same. And it's funny how people say you have to learn how to push somebody else's buttons. That's not how that's done. How you elevate an individual, how you allow them to perform better is you got to teach them to push their own buttons. You got to give them the tools to know that say, hey, so when you're dealing with adversity, when you're dealing with this, these are the buttons that you have to be able to push yourself. Because if somebody else is pushing your buttons, that means they're constantly have control over the situation. You're constantly looking for help from that individual. You're constantly asking them to manage manage your time where they're so busy managing their focus. So it's being able to empower these individuals with trust in certain situations and knowing what their strengths are, knowing what their weaknesses are. You know, you saw in the last dance, Michael would only pass the ball to certain individuals during crucial times Well, those individuals, through years and years of building that trust from not by what they said, by how they performed, how they practiced, how they showed up, how they thought, allowed another individual to trust them in a certain situation. It's not easy to do because everybody thinks you can give them a quick slogan to say, hell, you know, come on, you know, let's get after it. Let's go win. You know, let's go crush it. Those cliches have been around for, I don't know, for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they don't work. They just don't work. If it was that simple, what are you crushing? What are you going to go win? Does somebody believe enough in you to go crush something? Are they just saying that? It's that ability to have somebody light their own fire instead of constantly having someone else light that fire for them. And sometimes it has to be done in a positive way. And sometimes it has to be done in the way Michael did it. And I won't call it a negative way because to me, that was the positive way. Yeah. The pastor Paxson is the perfect example of that, right? I mean, that's trusting your teammate finally at the real crunch time. Well, at that play, did you see the ball actually went to Horace Grant and Horace Grant was right underneath yeah, the basket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was just like, no, I don't want yeah. anything to do with it. <laughs> but that's the ability. You know, it was Paxson and Steve Kerr. He's like, these are the individuals who have made big shots throughout their whole career. They made them in high school. They made them in college. Now they made them in professional level, but they've made them in practice over and over again during the most disruptive chaotic times and their results showed it. The results showed it. So they earned yeah. Michael's trust to be like, here, go, go, go do this part. When you read the book and you you talk about Kobe being in the gym at four o'clock in the morning and then you know you'd you'd send him home at, at five AM and you'd have to wait because <laughs> you know he'd sneak back fifteen minutes later mm-hmm. so you'd have to kick him out again. We all know that the work ethic of Michael Jordan, and even, you know, you got a golf, Ben Hogan, when he was asked about his success, you know, he said it's in the dirt, i.e. he just hit ball after ball after ball. Ball after ball, ball, yeah. But we live in an age of superficiality now. You know, everything is, Andre Agassi coined that term for Nike back in the 90s, image is everything. Mm -hmm. And it seems today that this superficiality, branding, Instagram, social media, how important is it to shut that stuff? Because we have the same thing in finance. Everyone's all over Twitter crying about their wins and 
being quiet when they lose. And, and there's a, an awful amount of puffing your chest out and, and just trying to be somebody to people that, you know, I, I think for young athletes trying to come up, for young people in finance trying to make a name for themselves, it seems such a destructive thing to do. How, how do you deal and work with young athletes who have so many distractions now that take away their focus from what's really important into all the kind of superficial stuff? Well, it's, you know what? Here's the thing. Winning never lies. You know, it's funny that you said how about the people on social media, it's a kind of boasting about their winnings, when, but they disappear when they lose. Well, obviously, they're not winning that often because if they took that adage, they'd actually be spending less time on, less time on right. social, social media. Because I, I don't know any individual out there who's at... Michael played 15 years. He's got six championships. That means more years he spent losing than he did winning. All right. Kobe's got five championships. He played 20 years. All right. 20 years. All right. So that means he spent 15 years losing. Yeah. 15 years losing. All right. So we all have distractions. And you know what? You need distractions. I always say this. You need distractions. You can't be, you know how they say, hey, listen, you have to be laser focused. Well, listen, a laser, even if it continues to get overused, it's going to burn out. It's not going to have the same power that it's going to have. All right. You need to have distractions. The ability to go from focus to distraction back to focus again, that's what's missing. So people get put in this distraction stage and find out, wow, it's so much easier to be in this distraction stage. There's so many more people that will acknowledge you, that will follow you, that will do these different things in the distractive stage. I can get more likes. I can get more popular. So that's how they become. And so what I'll do, so I'll put up a post and I'll be like, wow, this is like really deep. It's thoughtful. It's going to help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Nothing. No responses. And then you get an individual who put up a cat video and it's got a million likes. Because you know what? Those things distract people from who they really are, from the reality of what they are. And the social media and stuff allows you to become fake. You know, the fake is the new real. I do this thing in all my talks. And the most successful individuals are the ones that get this right away. And this is something I, you could do even with, you know, with your financial people that you coach and you talk to. I, I tell everybody, pull up one of your social media pictures. I don't care if it's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is. And I'll have everybody pull it up. And I'll tell them, I said, none of you look that good. Not one of you <laughs> look that good. All right. Think about the amount of time and filters and the lighting and effort you put into getting that perfect picture. If you were to take that same energy and put it into winning and being who you really are, imagine how farther you would actually be in your brand, in your destination, how closer you would be to that winning. But people identify with that fake thing because that's how they get the likes. Winning isn't about likes, it's about the results. People want the likes more than they want the results. Distraction gives you more of the likes because it makes you more popular. Winning, there's less people that are actually going to like you. They may respect you more, but they're not going to like you as much because now you've created separation. And because they didn't win, they have nothing but negative things to say about you. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great distinction. Yeah, you know, the, the only even quasi-motivational thing I've ever had taped to a, a computer anywhere in my almost 40 years of the business was Michael's quote about, you know, how he's missed X amount of shots and he's lost so many games. You know, I've failed over and over and over again. You know, and that it's and such that's a why he won. And that's why he won, right? And it's such a beautiful yeah. way to think about it. Um, yeah. and, and that just brings that back to me. There's a couple more things. I, I know we've only got a few minutes left. There's a couple more things I really wanted to ask you about. And um, the, the first one is um, you talk about resilience in the book a lot in the human context. And again, that's something in our business, you, you think about the resilience of your portfolio. How, how does it respond to stress? How do, how do you ref, uh, define resiliency and why is that such an important concept to understand? Well, you know, in the book, it's, I talk about that, you know, there's a four rings of winning. There are four rings that you need to win. One of the rings is talent. The other ring is intelligence. The other ring is competitiveness. And the last ring is resilience. And that's the smallest it's, ring, right? That's the... That's, yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's so important. Now, every time, here's a key. Every time you fail, every time you fall, Every time you lose, all right, every time those numbers don't work out the way you want them to work out, when you think about it and that failure knocks you down, when you stand up again, you better be more talented. When you fall and get knocked down again, you better stand up. You better be more intelligent. You can't stand up the same person. When you fall down and get knocked down again and you stand up again, you got to be more competitive. When you fall down and stand up again, each time you have to be more resilient. You have to understand that losing is a part of winning. It's a big, big part of winning. All right, how do you handle that loss? What do you get from that loss? Are you more talented? Are you more intelligent? Are you more competitive? Those things make you more resilience, you know, winning and losing our partner. They need each other. They need each other. That what makes you resilient. Losing is a necessity. Now, this is so important. Learn how to minimize the downside so you can recover faster. That's what resilience is about. When you lose, everybody just, oh, you can see their body language. They yeah. put their head down. Everything just goes. That You're not minimizing your downside. Then you're literally maximizing your downside. Now, I don't know a whole lot about your business. I'm not in the financial thing. But I don't. is there any time where you want to maximize your downside? No. no. Yeah, no. <laughs> exactly. All right. So you want to minimize your downside so you can recover faster. That's what resilience allows you to do. That's what those four circles allow you to do. But what happens is when people constantly keep getting knocked down, they stand up the same way. So when you stand up the same way, you don't have more resilience. You're exactly the same person. You're exactly the same person. Yeah. And it's not you cannot be the same person. And in order to minimize your downside and recover faster, more resiliency is going to need it each time. Yeah, I mean, there's, so, there's so much truth in that. It just, it's frightening to me. Okay, listen, last question, and I'll get you out of here. Just explain the WTF department, because when I read that, I thought this is <laughs> this is genius. Every single organization needs one, but every person needs one. I think and you should be your own person. Right, exactly. You, you right. should you should be that person. 
Uh, you should be that individual that holds yourself accountable more better than anybody else. I always say, look in the mirror. It's not what you don't see in the mirror, why you're not winning, why you're not getting the results, why your finances aren't growing. All right? It's the things you're not willing to see. And the WTF, that individual points it out to you and says, hey, this is why things aren't happening. One of the reasons the hot athletes hire me is because I'm not a yes person. Yeah. I am not a yet. When something goes wrong, I let them know about it. When I do something wrong, they let me know about it. I'm as just as crazy and obsessed as they are. So I understand their mindset. I don't judge those individuals. And that's what that individual does. It's that person that holds yourself accountable, doesn't allow you to make excuses, doesn't give you an out, <laughs> tells you when things are going well, doesn't overcompensate when you things are going really, really well. All right, doesn't pat you on the back for doing things that you're supposed to do, but acknowledges you when you do something exceptional and says, hey, let's do something more. And everybody needs that individual. And if you're not individual, you need to find that individual. And a lot of times, everybody thinks it's their best friend. And I say this, listen, if your best friend is too friendly, they shouldn't be your best friend. Right, they, right. They, should, they shouldn't be your best friend. You need allies. You need allies. There's a huge difference between friends and allies. Friends always tell you what you want to hear. Allies tell you what you need to hear. And that's what this individual does. It tells you what you need to hear. And what you need to hear is the truth. Everybody asks for honesty. The first thing when you get in a relationship with somebody, whether it's in business, whether it's a personal thing, they always say, I want you to be honest with me until you're honest with that right. person. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, because the honesty requires the truth. It requires the truth. People don't want to hear the truth. That individual always tells the truth. You know, near the end of the book, you you quote MJ again, and it, and it's it, it's one of those lines that you read, and it's kind of a cute throwaway line. But the more I think about it, the more remarkable it is. And and he said, "I've never lost a game. I just ran out of time." <laughs> I and just I, ran out. I, of I time. love that on so many levels, and, <laughs> and I, I hate the fact that. That's where I'm at now. I, I haven't lost the game, but I've run out of time. But Tim, look, I, I can't thank you enough for this. I've, I've enjoyed every second of it. I love the book. And, and this, this is a recommendation coming from someone who is the last person that would want to read a book like this. I, I cannot stress this enough to people. It, it's an easy read. It's an incredibly important read. And I will be reading it again several times because I've taken so many notes and it's the kind of stuff that I really want to go back and kind of remind myself of because you forget it. You do forget it. You do. That's why I just say, you know, I hate people that, I, and I'll leave this with this thing here. We're like, oh, I've read 30 books a month. <laughs> uh, well, did you master anything in those 30 books? Are you, or are you just looking for that number? Are you just looking to, you know, because now you're like, oh, it, it makes me feel important that I've read 30 books. Now people are going to be, wow, you're so, you spent so much, you're so knowledgeable. No, what did you learn? Did you learn something? Did you actually absorb something? Were you able to use something from those different books? I always say with this book, this book has to be read at least three to four times a year. That's one of the reasons we took all the fluff out of it. Because listen, you got to constantly remind yourself about what winning's about. Because winning isn't going to remind you. You have to remind yourself. So it's, that's why we didn't put any fluff in there. It's intentionally an easy read. You know, think about that. You've done how many shows now? Yeah, I've done hundreds over the years. 
yeah. hundreds over the years. And every single one, you could figure out how to do something better, what you could have left out. You'll get off this one. You'd be like, shoot, I wanted to ask him that yep. question. I did. I did. Yes. I've already got that uh, in my head. Yeah. I'm not even so, off it yet. <laughs> right. So that's why you need to master it. Don't settle for good. Don't settle for average. Settle for mastery. And mastery requires you to do things over and over and over again. Tim, again, I can't thank you enough for doing this, for writing the book and for being so gracious with your time. I, I wish you all the best with it. I will do whatever I can to recommend it to people. I'll, I'll be sending copies to people uh, and, and hopefully a lot of people listening to this will do the same. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this. I've loved it. Take care. Continue success. Thanks, Tim. Same to you. Keep Take winning. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I promised you something different and hopefully you found that to be as compelling and as thought-provoking as I did. I enjoyed my conversation with Tim immensely and I'm enormously grateful to him for taking that time out of his extremely busy schedule to talk with me. Once again, you can buy Tim's new book, Winning, on Amazon, in the Apple iBook store, and everywhere you get your books and audiobooks. And speaking as someone who's filled his copy with highlighted passages already, I'm confident you'll take as much away from Tim's work as I did. In the meantime, you can follow Tim on Twitter. You'll find him at Attack Athletics, and find out more about his work at timgrover.com. That's all from me. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.